Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast, episode number 189. I'm your host for this week, Jamie. Jamie? Did I say that weird? Did I say my own name strangely? You said it. You said um, it. Okay, I'm, I hope I said it fine. Um, and joining me, as ever, in an episode where absolutely nothing could go wrong, there could be absolutely no technical hiccups, and this isn't the second time I've already done all of this, is, of course, the main man, Mr. Alex Jones. Hello, Jamie. It's lovely to be talking to you, as though we haven't just been chatting for the last 10 minutes. Uh, we're also joined by a number of, pe- number of people in the live who um, are exciting for them. They haven't seen all this before. Uh, I'm just going to give a quick shout out to the people that are joining us. Um, we've got the Funky Penguin. We've got Kieran Spiteri. Uh, Joel is in the chat. Magni. Ben Smith. Snifflebox. Classy Cat. Sam H. Sorry, Sean H. Um, are joining us. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, and Ben Smith just said, so glad I'm seeing this one live. Yeah. Not, for anyone wondering, a reference to the immaculate introduction to a podcast you've just heard, but to the a train wreck of a podcast that preceded it 10 minutes earlier. We were actually trying this really new wave radical approach to podcasting where one of our mics is completely inaudible. So it's just one person talking and you it's actually it's like cool and response, but without the response. Um, but it turns out when you beam a, an audio version of a podcast to podcasting platforms like Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, all those kind of places, it's very hard to maintain your astonishing five star average reviews. Uh, with only one person talking and in doing 50% of the podcast listening. Um, turns out, not the primo form of entertainment that people come here for, Jonesy. It's not at all. That's not what they're here for. But see, there's a look behind the curtain because people think that maybe this is just live and then we just slap it up there for all to see. But no, there is some uh, post-work done after the fact and that is what has happened to this that people are listening to right now. A little bit yep. more polish. Just like your local butcher, Jonesy goes in and he trims all the fat so that you don't have to chew on it. Although, if you did want to make sure that you are there to catch any future technical train wrecks um, in your in the flesh, live and as they happen, then of course you have to go over to the YouTube, the uh, Super Show YouTube channel of all places where we live stream this bad boy every Monday evening. Most Monday evenings, bear with us. Sometimes we're late. Um... But if you are there, and if you do set your watch to it, then you get to see historic technical feats such as the one that we've borne witness to tonight take place live and uncut. Um, Aim Nesta saying, still waiting for my one-man podcast where one of you also voices the other. That actually would have been quite a fun like post-production trick if we just done the whole two hours with you <laughs> not realizing my mic was inaudible. I'd love to see a version where, again, you just have to be me in post for the entire thing. Hello, everybody. I'm Jamie. I know we've discussed this before. I know we have this discussion every time an impression of me is done. I need the folks at home to know that I don't think I sound like a dog. And Jonesy, do the voice again. Jonesy, if Jonesy was asked to do a They know you don't sound like a dog. So do me a favour. I'm going to ask you to do two voices back to back. Your sentence is this. The Last of Us 2 Remastered is coming out on PlayStation 5 in January. Okay. That's your sentence. And the okay. two voices you're doing it in are my voice yeah. and the voice of a guest character in a kid's TV animated show who happens to be a dog, an anthropomorphic talking dog. Do them back to back. Please go. <laughs> the Last of Us first. 2. Okay, you first. The Last of Us 2 remaster is coming to PlayStation 5 in January. That was you. That was you. <laughs> 
and now the, the animated cartoon dog. The PlayStation the remaster of The Last of Us 2 is coming to PlayStation 5 in January. There you go. Jesus Christ. Identical. You are literally, you are a bark oh, short of, of basically telling the world that you think I'm a dog. And um, I don't know how I feel about that. My impression of you, for what it's worth, would actually be very flattering. See, but if I'm trying to actually do you, it would just sound like a, a normal, well-spoken dude. So it's, it would be boring. So that's why I have to add a little bit of flair by making you sound like a cartoon dog. I understand that perspective. I, again, I wish it were a different kind of flair. I wish it were a different variety of flair. But I appreciate you adding some flair in there. My version of you is just, it's the classic, and you know, you and I know this very well from back in the day, the classic voiceover voice. The, um, you know, the, oh. just the exaggerated... The last of us two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. Do, do, but you, you're, it's one of those things where your impression of my impression of you is better than my impression of you when I do that voice. So for, uh, let's see, I'll, I'll do the, the, the title that I, we just did in the, as my voiceover voice. The Last of Us 2 Remaster comes to PlayStation 5 in January. Oh, my God. I, I feel like I've just been told how much the new McDonald's McSaver menu <laughs> you know, items cost. And Get I love it. Because it was the get the new McPhilly cheesesteak now at your local McDonald's. Uh, we, do you know what? I'm going to throw it out there. We're not just supported by Patreon. We are also just available to hire for anyone in the market for a voiceover artist. If anyone here has links to Ronald or anyone in the McDonald family, for that matter, <laughs> uh, that maybe can get us a little in. Um, I mean, you basically just heard the extent of our portfolio live and uncut. Um, but Jonesy, that wasn't just a line that I pulled from like, you know, an Academy Award winning movie to test your vocal range. It was actually the headline of the first thing we're going to talk about on this podcast. There's actually about video games, believe it or not. Um, I've heard. And that, yeah. yeah, well, it's something that Chris used to remind us of every time we started um, a podcast and talked about poo or anal or I don't know why the first two things I went to were, were sort of rectal in nature, but I guess that's just the way my brain works. Um, turns out, actually, The Last of Us 2 Remastered coming to PS5 in January might sound like a pretty boring black-and-white headline, the kind of piece of news that most people would glance over and say, huh, okay, but this is the internet, and a normal, rational, um, well-behaved takes and opinions are not allowed. Everything has to be uh, cranked up to 11, so we're going to crank it up to 11 by acknowledging that Jonesy, with the official confirmation of this remaster, Naughty Dog will have moved into very cool and unprecedented territory by creating a series or a franchise in The Last of Us that will soon have more re-releases or remasters or remakes, anything with re at the beginning, than actual official releases. Uh, that is following confirmation that Last of Us Part 2 is getting remastered with a native PS5 version coming out on the 19th of January 2024, which is going to be three and a half years after the release of the original game. My maths ain't so great, um, but it's in that ballpark. We can get into what they're doing to it, the technical improvements, the new modes, you know, everything they're going to try and do to um, to make this package worthwhile, and the way they priced it, which I think is also going to be an important bullet point. But I do just kind of want to get your off-the-cuff hot takes, your feeling about a potential, well, not even just a potential, a real Last of Us 2 remastered, so soon it's a weird one though because if you it's purely about the framing for me with this because if you frame it as it's getting a remaster then i'm like why it's so soon yes. 
Like it, that's that's ludicrous. Most people are going to not notice any difference to it. Blah blah blah. And, you know, for all those reasons. But if you frame it to me in the way that um, a lot of other games have done, which is it's getting a pre- PS5 uh, upgrade, you know, for a nominal fee to upgrade your PS4 version, then I'm like, yeah, that's loads of other people have done that with loads of other games. It completely makes sense. Mm. And and I'm getting even more than I would um, with just a PS5 upgraded version with this game because they're throwing in some new modes. They're doing some other things. But yeah, what I don't know why I call it a remaster. It's It seems like they're just asking for trouble. It is weird, right? Because there's no real, like, I guess they could make the argument that the original Last of Us re-release was called The Last of Us Remastered, so there's some, like, I guess there's some lineage there. But then, you know, they went a different route with the remake of The Last of Us by calling it The Last of Us Part 1, which made everything neat and tidy. And now, if the definitive version of The Last of Us Part 2 is officially called The Last of Us Part 2 Remastered, that means that nothing's neat anymore. (laughs) But I, I, I completely agree. One thing that stands out to me, if we're talking about what these companies have done in the past and staying on certain trajectories, is why not go back to what they did with Ghost of Tsushima and... Um, uh, Death Stranding, and just stick that again, totally irrelevant and and you know pointless label, but still it kind of worked. Director's cut, it didn't mean anything. It wasn't actually a director's cut. Yeah, but, but like you said, those two re-releases went by with at times very marginal or or minimal improvements, and no one really bat an eyelid. But now people are very much batting an eyelid. They are because it just it just sounds kind of ridiculous, and I think it's like the point you said is that. Um, it seems like Naughty Dog are just getting into the remaster industry. That's what they're that's what they're known for. It's what they do mostly. Um, but I oh, see. I don't like the director's cut either for the same reason as you said. A director's cut is supposed to be this is the definitive version of the game, and it's annoying as well because if something like Death Stranding, you would imagine actually could have a director's cut. Where Hideo Kojima said this right, wasn't exactly. my actual vision for the game. The problem is now because that's Kojima Productions. You know that he had. It was purely him. It would have to be like the the editor's cut or the producer's cut. Yeah. It would be the inver- in, inversion for him. But yeah, director's cut doesn't make any difference either. I, I feel like they could have just gone with um, The Last of Us 2, like PS5 update or, or, P- or PS5 something, and it would have made sense to me. But Yeah. I Because on the face of it, I think like remaster, pointless, why would they do this? But then we'll get into some of the stuff they've added into it, and I'm actually super happy that they're releasing a, a PlayStation 5 version that has all of this in it. Yeah, so let, let's let's uh, stop teasing and let's get into what they're actually talking about. Obviously, there's the, um, as you'd imagine, the promised uh, visual enhancements, including an increased level of detail, uh, distances, improved shadow quality, better animation sampling rates, and more. Obviously, we're going to have the classic choice between two graphics modes, fidelity and performance, uh, the uh, former of which is going to run at 4K, um, and then the latter is going to run at 1440p, upscaled to 4K. Um, so I guess pretty standard fare. Um, and there is also going to be an unlocked frame rate option for TVs or monitors, I guess, that support variable refresh rates. Um, so coming in line with a lot of what first-party Sony and PlayStation Studios content has been doing. And beyond that, haptic feedback and adaptive triggers. Again, just a, a tap-in really at this point when it comes to games getting native PS5 versions. Photo mode enhancements, something that, again, Sony in their first party output have been pretty hot on. So I think that's just a, a case of emulating a lot of the work they did on The Last of Us Part 1. I think there's actually going to be a few things that kind of fall into that category. A behind-the-scenes commentary track, 
a speed run mode that again going to be very similar to what we saw in the last of us part one um a guitar free play mode i guess for anyone that really liked to play the guitar love that um and then the two most interesting things one of them i think interesting from just sort of like a well, purely just a, a sort of a getting a look behind the scenes perspective and the other interesting from a gameplay perspective. Um, we've got a set of quote-unquote lost levels, which are going to be playable sequences that were previously cut from the game. Apparently those are going to be some of the sequences that are accompanied by this new behind-the-scenes commentary track. So it will be interesting to see essentially like playable but unfinished sequences that were cut for one reason or another with, you know, the likes of a Neil Druckmann or whoever the case, or whoever it may be, talking over it, hopefully giving a bit of context as to why it was cut or or what it would have included when it was all fully fleshed out. And the other thing that I'm sure people are going to get their teeth sunk into, especially as the wait for, you know, something akin to a Last of Us multiplayer mode um, continues to drag on, is a speedrun mode uh, excuse me, is a roguelike survival mode called No Return that will see you take on uh, a variety of different scenarios um, and gameplay scenarios at that, you know, mixing and matching stealth and action gameplay and playing as a variety of different characters from the campaign, characters that have never been playable before, unlocking skins for them. Uh, I think some of that even crosses over to the campaign at one point. We saw Ellie in her astronaut outfit, which is a, a very cheesy but a nice touch. And all of this, Jonesy, as we kind of hinted at earlier, comes wrapped up in a package that is available as a $10 upgrade for anyone that owns the PlayStation 4 version of the game. I believe that's digitally or physically. If it's physical, you have to have your disc in the disc drive, though, um, to kind of yeah. prove that you own the game. Oh, shit, do you own a disc physical? Yeah, I believe so. Oh, bollocks. I wasn't even saying that to... No, no, I know you were. You off. I was just trying to be informative. Uh, in case people have forgotten, my disk drive is broken on my PlayStation 5, so I need to um, get that no. sorted. Do you know what we need to find out? We need to find out if the new like, removable disk drive that I guess is now a thing as a result of the reworked slim PlayStation 5 mm. is still compatible with OG PS5s that have disk drives in their own right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because if, if you can just plug it into the USB port into one of the other ports, then yeah, that would be, that'd be a nice mm. touch. I wonder if they've... Q&A'd on that because you've got to imagine it's compatible with the launch version of the digital version of the PlayStation 5 so maybe if the if the kind of compatibility is there for just a like USB functionality maybe um but yeah um if you but if you don't find yourself in Jonesy's situation uh if you're a lucky soul who does still have a working disk drive or owns the digital version of the game then yeah it's that ten dollar upgrade that we saw with the aforementioned director's cuts in some cases and other upgrades here and there, saves are going to carry over for anyone that just wants to jump back in and maybe do a few encounters with the improved loading times. I think it's it's a logical package for what is, at this point, you know, for as much as there are naysayers and, dare I say, even haters out there, Jonesy, it's one of the most uh, beloved games in the PlayStation catalog. It's certainly a part of the one of, if not the most beloved series in the PlayStation catalog. I think bring everything up to a point where there's a native PS5 version of both games, both looking great, both, you know, firing on all cylinders. Uh, it kind of makes sense, especially as the TV show roars on, you know, the season two rumblings are going to continue to play out over the course of 2024 as we find out who's playing Abby and all that kind of stuff happens again. And the internet's not ready to stop talking about The Last of Us. So why would PlayStation be ready to stop taking our money? 
No, agreed. I think um, it does. It does make sense. I think it does kind of worry people for some respect because then you worry, like, or you think like, what a naughty dog, um, not doing as they're making like remasters. Or are they putting more time and effort into remasters when we could have had some more games coming out of like such a fantastic studio? But uh, but then you know, I yeah, I, I think it sounds like a um, it do, it does sound like a kind of a. a when you put it all together and you put it, you sort of frame it like that, it does sound like a good idea, and I can see why they're doing it. I was a little worried that the fact they were in, in, in putting in this roguelike survival mode, no return, I thought was that kind of going to be the oh, we're not actually doing the multiplayer, so this is what you get instead. <laughs> I, I, you know, when they sort of like collect all the assets together for something and then just go, oh, here you can have this instead. I was worried that that was the case, but apparently um, that is not the case, and they are still saying the multiplayer is coming that factions mode that's going to be sort of standalone is still coming um so that's good <laughs> so we're you know we're okay yeah doing all right don't get me wrong i do feel like there are going to be elements of no return that will feel like they're just you know happily reusing elements from other parts of the game but i think it's more likely to draw from you know the campaign to put it bluntly yeah it's going to take certain environments and certain you know maps and locales that we're familiar with from the campaign it's going to turn them into sort of relatively like finite or block, blocked off spaces populate them with you know a bunch of enemies that again we'll all be familiar with from the campaign and it's just going to mix things up by altering different variables like you know how many people you're fighting against and who you're playing as uh it's going to be interesting to see how they handle the roguelike side of things like i think there are references to this idea of sort of like you know getting through rounds or getting through scenarios and choosing upgrades and like are there going to be crazy runs that you're going on where by the end you're some fully, you know, buffed out character? Also, I think I read at some point that there were allusions to different characters having different strengths. You know, perhaps Ellie being more agile than Joel or something like that to give the most basic examples. Does that move the needle for you at all? And I guess same question, but also for this idea of the lost levels. Well, like, no, all of that stuff to me, like I would have been interested in this anyway um as an upgrade uh you know and the fact that they've in, they've got the, the no return mode and they've got the lost levels yeah it sounds it sounds fantastic it sounds like a um you know hey did you really enjoy this game here's an excuse to play more of it um before the mm. multiplayer comes out and so i'm yeah i'm I'm there with it and i i think i said to you just before the pod that i i would find this compelling um to actually because i haven't played the remake of um last was part one yet uh, I find this quite a compelling reason to get that and to play both of these games in the new year, like, you know, going into next year, um, get stuck back into that story, enjoy some of these new game modes. I think it sounds pretty sick. Yeah, yeah. I think I can get behind it as well as someone who, again, is in a position to take advantage of that $10 upgrade. I can't remember how that converts to Great British Pounds. I've got a feeling we'll probably get fucked over and it'll just be a straight 10 here it's as well. 10 pounds, probably. Yeah, but if it's any less, then that, then that's... This kind of feels like, not quite a no-brainer, but um, close to it. I guess the only thing that really kind of stands in my way sometimes, I was reminded of this watching the trailer, and I guess you've kind of already answered as to where your stance is on this, but I, I do wonder if you've got any uh, anything else to sound it, but it's one's degree of emotional preparedness for going back into that world or going back into those stories. Because I remember finishing The Last of Us Part 2 and thinking, I really liked that. Not all of it, but most of it. And uh, there's a lot of things that I really admired about what that game did. Also, I don't want to play it again for like a decade because <laughs> I feel drained and exhausted and emotionally unavailable and my battery for human interaction has been drained empty. 
I'm I was the same. I'm I think I'm probably about ready though to uh experience it without having so much of the emotional commitment because I know the next beat that's coming and I know it's not gonna like nothing's gonna surprise me. And so maybe I can kind of enjoy it in a different way and like play it more uh, rather than experience it, if that makes sense. Um Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm because yeah, I, I agree. I after I played it the first time I was like, I don't know how long it'll be before I even think about playing this game again it's going to be a long time and it's been a while well, yeah like i guess three and a half years that's actually not all too but that is a reasonable amount of time to wait before play a game i was going through my catalog of games from earlier this year this calendar year that i haven't finished like final fantasy and hogwarts legacy and kind of thinking oh should i should i go back and play a bit more of that and when i do go and have that thing like go down that line of thinking i always have that point where i'm like have I not played it in a long enough for a long enough period of time that I can start a new game right. and not find the early stages too repetitive to go through again? Because I hate diving back into a game that I'm like halfway through. I find it really difficult. Um, Me too. Agreed. But yeah, three and a half years, more than enough time. So the date on that one, once again, for anyone wondering, January 19th of 2024. It was a very kind of quick turnaround from sort of rumblings to leak to confirmation to trailer i want to say i was still awake and the trailer went live at like one or two in the morning it was one of those really weird situations where there's a part of you that sat there going was this something that was going to be at the game awards and it all kind of went wrong um, <laughs> right but it but it would be unfair to speculate i'm sure jeff still has uh, plenty of surprises up his sleeves for us in a couple of weeks time um I just wish that we could say the same, Jonesy, when it came to our ability to entertain our audience and especially our wonderful, ever-loving patrons who support us over at patreon.com forward slash super show. Because we try our best, but Lord knows sometimes um, our best just isn't enough. But it doesn't mean we're not going to stop trying. Um, which means if you want to indulge us in some of those efforts you can head over to patreon.com forward slash super show and what you'll find if you go over there is a whole heap of patreon exclusive content all the stuff that we've recorded over the past well longer put it this way longer than the last of us 2 has, has been out so we're we're gonna hit the four year anniversary before that game does um any patreon exclusive videos patreon exclusive podcasts fuck it if you want to go back to find the patron exclusive spoiler cast for the last of us part two that we recorded on the hottest day of the year yeah. in the summer in the summer of 2020 when i was bald and chris was still a part of this podcast you can do exactly that by going to patreon.com forward slash super show finding a tier that works for you and pledging whether it's two dollars a month five dollars a month ten dollars a month we're very grateful for all of your patronage and as such I'd love to give a huge thank you and a shout out to everyone that has already headed over there and done exactly that. There are some names on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, ones. JB, hold on a sec. Um, everyone, I've realised something. The the arse up with the technical stuff at the beginning is carried over to this uh, this frame where no one can now see or no one can hear Jamie. So I'm going to jump in and read out some Patreon names because um, you won't be able to hear Jamie reading them out. So we'd like to give a shout out to um, the people on screen right now for supporting us. But we'd also like to give uh, a verbal shout out to some people. I'm talking Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Ice Not Rock Salt, Yes Cam Dan Nielsen, Pastors Guild, 
And the big dogs, big dogs even, the members of the board is Brett Z, a.k.a. Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hack Sorberg Reed, Manuel Guerrero, and Peaswad. Um, and now, you should be able to hit Jamie again. The Jonesy trying to cover me there very uh, lovingly by pretending there was a technical fault. The reality is that I was just so overcome with emotion uh, while seeing and reading and hearing all of those names that I couldn't go out any longer. Um, and just... It, your patronage means a lot and so a huge thank you once again to all of those individuals um and that link one last time patreon.com forward slash super show um your support means a lot yeah thank you everybody but yeah we are we're back now i'm seeing the uh the chat is saying like no sound i can't hear but no yeah um, everything should be working fine again now for a little look behind the scene obs is broken down into scenes and jamie the output that wasn't working is still in the other scene so that's why you couldn't hear jamie but now he's back in all his glorious dulcet soundedness so there you go do you mean dog soundedness <laughs> dog how, can, how, how can you do that impression of me and then so simultaneously call me dulcet because it's not real it would be if i if i was going to be actually mean about how you sounded then i wouldn't like compliment you would i, I wouldn't do the dog thing because it would be too close to the reality if you actually sounded like a bulldog i'd be like i'm just going to pretend that you've got a lovely voice Whereas you know you have, so I don't need to. I don't need to. Who's to say? That. Like some, you know, sometimes it's not even about having lovely voices. You know, um, the, the, I'm sure you, you must have it all the time where you're on TV, listen, watching TV or listening to the radio, and you're like, they've hired that person not even because they sound nice or because they have the traditionally nice voice, but because they sound like approachable or they sound like an everyman or there's like we joked about mcdonald's earlier but in reality for anyone who doesn't live in the uk 99 percent of like mcdonald's adverts here in the uk are done by people who sound like this like, the new mcdonald's mccafe it's only 99p because you listen to it and you go oh that sounds like a guy who drove me in a black cab yesterday i maybe i should get my mccafe from mcdonald's as well now yeah you don't you don't want your adverts too bougie and be like oh i'm not going there it's well stuck up no, exactly. I, I've just got a mental image in my head now of like 99% of working and well-paid voice actors for advertisements or marketing in general here in the UK go to the VO booth in a flat cap. Um, don't ask <laughs> yeah. me. That's just, that's the mental image I've got and, and no one's going to tell me otherwise. Um, speaking of flat caps, uh, Jonesy, I don't actually have a segue, but I, I just imagine you own one. No, I don't own a flat cap. I've I wanted... Um... Uh, I wanted a fedora because it was like what Indiana Jones wore. <laughs> but no, like, but I wanted one back in the like. This is I'm going back like okay before the internet ruined fedoras. But like twenty years ago, say I wanted a fedora. Okay. Then I found out that Indiana Jones wore a fedora, and that's what everyone else was. You know, some people. I'm not going to give them any name. This that's um mean. But <laughs> some people yeah. wanted fedoras and wore them, and then I was like, I can never wear a fedora. So I'm I'm a baseball cap kind of guy. There you go. Actually, now that you say that, that, that is bringing back a lot of mental images of you. Of, of you when your hair is long, but you've washed it, and so and you're not going to put any product in it because you're going to get a haircut, so you wear a baseball cap instead. You work with someone for long enough, you get to learn what these days look like. Um, That's a bit of me right there. And it's usually a Detroit Lions baseball cap. It's, it's been the last sort of like five to six years has been a, has been a Detroit Lions baseball cap, but... Uh, did, were, were we together when you went baseball cap hunting in Los Angeles? Is that am I, I remember that right? Yes. Um, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. I just sudden just got a sudden flash of a memory there. Walking around a shop, I guess 
whatever I, I don't remember which teams are represented near the LA kind of convention center area, but it was a well-stocked shop. I, I, I no, I just got a stream. I got an LA baseball cap. It was a wicked. I loved it. It was a great, and I lost it. I don't know where it went. Oh shit! I think I had it. Did it come back to the UK? Oh, it did. So you, yeah. No, it did. It did, and then um, uh, yeah, and then somehow I lost it somewhere and never found it. So, oh well. Okay. Well, that's a shame. Although one one way to get over um, the horrible feeling, the gut punch that is losing beloved items, Jonesy, is of course to just play video games and forget the outside world exists. Have you been doing much of that in this past week? No. Um, I've played. <laughs> Moving on. I, so the only thing I, I will very briefly mention, just because of how pretty it is, uh, and I, but I've only played the first first sort of fifteen minutes again. Um, I've started replaying the Artful Escape, um, but this time on my PlayStation Five because uh, uh, that is available on PlayStation Plus, and I am so, and I saw it on there the other day, and I really enjoyed that game when I played it um, previously on PC. So I was like, hey, let me uh, hop in play this on on PlayStation Five. So yeah, not not got much into it apart from just appreciating how pretty that game is on a big. A big, lovely screen. So That's a nice idea, actually, because I'm the same as you. When it originally released via Game Pass, I played it on PC, which meant, obviously, I've only ever experienced it on a monitor and with a pair of headphones on. So the idea of the Artful Escape on a big screen does actually sound kind of cool. I don't know if I'd play the entire thing again, but um, speaking of PlayStation Plus and another game that I know that we both know is very good, um, but I've taken an excuse to play a bit more of it now that it is... Uh, essentially free, I guess, for the time being, is Teardown. Um, that got added to the PlayStation Plus, uh, the catalogue, this, uh, I think, in the past week or so. Um, and I just went straight into the sandbox mode, and you can't do nearly as much with the PlayStation version of that game as you can with the PC version, because obviously the capacity for modding it is, it, well, is non-existent. Um, but they do kind of have some things that are integrated on the, on the console side to try and replicate some of that hey, you're doing shit you're not supposed to, kind of, and you're really fucking up the frame rate here, but you just can't quite quite have as much carnage as you can. You you can't make it run at, like, 0.2 frames per second for an entire minute while it slowly figures out, like, the intricate, like, Where that dynamic... Gone. I was more thinking of, like, I've just recreated 9-11, and now my computer's running at 2 <laughs> right. frames per second. Um, because yeah. these are the kind of things that one does on a Tuesday evening. Um, I've not even played the sandbox mode. I've only played the campaign. Um, oh, said. see, the campaign d d does not appeal to me at all. Like this, I, I, I like the idea of taking a game that kind of is really just this. Again, it, in theory, could have just been a sand, like a destruction sandbox, yeah. and creating almost this heist-like um, narrative out of it. And this idea of you, you know, you've got to plan a route, and you've got to have certain mechanisms in place, and you've got to know how you're getting in and how you're getting out, and doing it all within a very specific time limit. I admire it. It's just not my cup of tea. Uh, and it got it went a bit weird as well because I I like the idea of that at the beginning when you were sort of like planning how to do it, but then when it got to the point where it sort of did these almost slightly cheap things of you have to steal a car but it's connected to an alarm and as soon as you try and drive it well you've got to steal something it's connected to alarm and then you've got a time limit. I just I've kind of fell off the campaign then because was, it wasn't it's just not as fun it's just not as enjoyable when I'm up against the time limit and I've got to grab three paintings and I'm like I can't bother. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like they've created a very intriguing game. Like, I, I, I want to use the word sandbox, but it's a confusing word to use because it's literally an existing mode within the game. But they created a fascinating backdrop for a game, like mechanically, in terms of how it works. 
into something that's so driven purely by destruction. And yet the sandbox mode feels a little bit too aimless. Like you very quickly realize you're just running around blowing stuff up with, and it's fun, but there's no reason to do it. Yeah. Um, Whereas the you know, the story mode, as as we've just kind of outlined, goes off in in at times the complete other direction um, and gets a little bit too far removed from maybe what uh, it needed a middle ground, um, and I don't exactly know what that middle ground is. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I, if I tried to think of anything, it would be bad um, because I'm on the spot. But um, still, a fun thing to rattle around in for a, yeah, for a little while. Absolutely. Um, something else that could potentially be fun to rattle around in for a little while um but whether or not it's worth the price of admission it's hard to say yet is immortals of avium and the reason it's hard to say is because this is uh, it's a game that's in a bit of a weird spot at the moment so for anyone that doesn't know this was the uh, magic infused first person shooter that was developed by a team team i think called ascendant studios earlier in the year but was obviously notable because it was published under the ea originals label which meant that it got a you know maybe a bit bit more sort of marketing and promotion than than other games of that ilk might have, um, and then unfortunately it kind of got met with middling reviews and sales were underwhelming and there were layoffs at the studio and it all kind of went tits up, um, and now they're clearly in the back end of the phase, back end of the you know at that point where EA have looked at the numbers and said right we got to just start trying to find ways to throw this game at people, <laughs> and so one of the things that they have done is that there is now a trial that is available, I presume it's on everything, I played it on PlayStation 5, that lets you just play the first three chapters of the game, and if you like what you played by the end of those three chapters, then you can buy the game at the end of it at a 50% discount, which still regrettably makes it £35 here in the UK, which seems too much for what this is. Um, is this the one that had the, that's got a couple of celebs, A-listers, uh, cast in roles? No, I, I'm thinking of something else. Then I can't remember. What I'm, I'm trying to think of what I'm trying to think of. What you're, are you thinking of? Like, um, uh, crime boss Rocky City? <laughs> no, I'm thinking of the um, the first person magic one, but it's got uh, some of the cast who were in it are quite famous. And I thought that's an interesting way to kind of um, push that game up a level by. I can't remember who who's even in it. Let me see if I can find out what you're chatting about. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, and maybe there are famous people in Immortals of Avium, and I just didn't recognise them. The, the, it definitely has quite strong, um, you know, like performance capture sort of fundamentals. Like when you're watching the cutscenes, the characters are kind of brought to life in in a pretty believable way. But as I remember, a lot of people discussing at the time in reviews and and various impressions and such, the dialogue is a little bit on the nose. Very much of that kind of, I know, and I know it's a bit of a meme to kind of pin everything on this nowadays, but very much of that sort of Joss Whedon Avengers ilk where everyone's wisecracking and everyone's got to come back to everything else. And it kind of makes the stakes always feel very low. Not to suggest that anyone is necessarily playing a game like Immortals of Avium for the story or for the rich lore, but kind of in the same way that sort of end up hurting Forspoken a little bit. Um, I think a lot of the kind of the dialogue. And the players, not even, and in fact, not even as the players' internal monologue necessarily, but just some of the dynamics between the characters and the way the story is presented, where you've you've always got these very serious and very stoic evil forces at play in this magical, whimsical world populated by heroic characters who never seem to be quite as concerned with the um, with what's at stake uh, as they should be, uh, and until and inevitably, like 
a loved one dies or you know someone gets sacrificed to their life and then of course there's revenge in the mix and then things get a little bit more heady but um but, but like it just felt a bit flat narratively speaking and the gameplay is like for as much as they've attempted to um, mix it up a little bit it just kind of ends up feeling like a first person shooter and that doesn't have to be a bad thing but it kind of undermines what some of the more interesting elements of the magic could have presented i remember when i played um ghostwire tokyo last year i think it was or maybe the year before i can't remember and talking about how you realize quite quickly that although they're doing all these flashy hand animations and there's a lot of particle effects and it all looks very flashy um a lot of the spells that you're casting and all of the attacks that you're outputting are really just analogs for other more traditional firearms basically right um that is even more the case in immortals of avium where like your basic attack is this for one of a better way of putting it it's a semi-automatic kind of attack <laughs> that's like quite good for just like mid to long range and then you get a shotgun style magic attack and then you get a fully automatic magic attack that is but the, the spray is quite wide ends up being a bit more i guess smg like um <laughs> And they try and mix it up, like, very early on, you get this whip that, almost in the same way that it worked in Bulletstorm, for anyone who remembers that game, you can whip enemies and, like, pull, yank them towards you, and um, you're kind of rotating through these spells, and sometimes it does all come together in a way that's vaguely interesting, more so than a, you know, a flat, sort of, like, boilerplate first-person shooter might have been, but it never really all comes together to create something more than just an okay FPS in a magical setting are they um, doing the annoying dr strange hands the whole time so that is one thing that is different about that there is a little bit of dr strange hands in going on but obviously while ghostwire tokyo was full-on like two hands yeah you know sign language style this is basically like a thing where he's just kind of like occasionally moving a few fingers like there's one where he just tucks in his middle finger okay uh there's one where he kind of does like um like a an L, but with uh, two fingers up, um, like your finger in someone, and <laughs> not not how it's described in the tooltip in the game. Funnily enough, uh, writers, if you're if anyone out there's hiring, um, give me a shout. Um, and but they've also got this thing where it's basically it's it's this classic thing where um, there's a fantastical world and it's populated by magic, but magic is kind of like a limited resource, so all the people are fighting over magic and there are people who are very good at wielding magic and you just happen to play as this one street rat who up until the age of like 16 or 18 or whatever the fuck he is didn't realize he had this inherent innate magic ability within him and then there's one you know forsaken horrific day where he witnesses something horrible that brings out an anger in him that even he didn't know he had that also coincides with the uh, and then, of course, that magical outburst was spotted by the, exactly the person who needed to see see him, take him under their wing, and, and went, train him into being this magical warrior. And they said, "You're a wizard, street rat." And then, there, you're a wizard, street rat. And basically, they get this metal guard that kind of slit slots uh, over their whole hand, and kind of like, I guess, the idea is that it almost acts as a way of like condensing and like like honing in the magic to make it right basically a gun as opposed to just like <laughs> shit that just fireworks coming out of your fingers right um fucking hell man uh so here's the, re the reason though that it's a strange prospect for anyone um on the one hand you can go and play the first three chapters right now for free by downloading it as a trial 
On the other hand, I saw on Twitter, just before we went live today, that the developers did an interview this week with, I can't remember which magazine or which outlet it was, which website, but they said they are they confirmed that they are in conversations with both, those, both Xbox and PlayStation about getting this game on Game Pass and PlayStation Plus to get it more people's hands. So this is a game that is still being sold, mind you, for £35, and if you wanted to play beyond the third chapter, could you like the trial, that's how much it would cost you. While there are developers out there actively giving interviews, talking about the fact that they are actively trying to get this game on a service and having conversations. So, so don't buy it yet. Don't buy it. Like, Just if wait. you really feel moved to um, to dip into Immortals of Avium for whatever reason, just wait. Um it's funny because we Did were talking before the show that like Forspoken was was on sale for like seven pounds, and if you wanted to like, yeah. dip your toes into like a magical world, um, yeah, like seven quid is a lot better prospect than you know fifty percent off of after a, a free trial of Immortals of Avium. Um, Agreed, but but yeah, like just wait a little bit, and all these games will probably be available because they see. Um, maybe, maybe I'm being a bit unfair by putting this in the same realm as Forspoken, you know, which didn't do great. But then I'm sure some people loved. Um, but they didn't seem to hit that hard, is what I'm saying. So, you know, give it a little bit yeah. of time. They'll be playable on some service that you've probably got available. Exactly. Like, you, most of us are pretty good nowadays at identifying the kind of games that are, like, maybe going to go on sale at some point, but will largely hover around full to three-quarters to two-thirds of their price because they're well-received enough and they're popular enough that they don't need to kind of flip for any of those alternate routes. But, as you said, like, Immortals of Avium is the... Like is the definition of a game that will be on. I mean, even EA have their own service, which has you yeah. know they have their vault. So it's not a part of that yet. But um, I'm sure by the time this game is celebrating its one year anniversary, there will be a number of different ways to pay it for the fee of a subscription of your choice. Um, did you manage to find your star-studded magic-infused? Uh, it was game, this. By the way? It was Immortals of Avium, but like when I say star-studded, I'm I'm maybe being a little bit. Friendly. I didn't recognize a single face. So uh, one of them is Darren Barnett, which I'm guessing is probably the main street rat kid. Um, so I'd watched the series Never Have I Ever, which he's the he's one of the main characters in, um, and he okay. is coming. He's in another film coming out some point soon, I think. Um, oh, sorry. Do you know what else he's in? Blue-eyed samurai. Oh, weird. So, you know, we're talking about Blue Eye Samurai uh, just before this and how that's going to be the next um, TV show that I watch in all likelihood. So there you go. Uh, he's also in Gran Turismo, the film that just came out. And the other person is uh, Gina Torres, which um, you'll recognize if you if you see a picture of her. So uh, no, that's the thing. I've, I've just played the first three chapters and I was staring at her the whole time. And I uh, because I'm again, I'm looking at her body of work now. I've never seen Suits. Obviously, I know that's a very popular show, and she was in 94 episodes of it, so I'm sure a lot of people know her through that. She may well have been in The Matrix Revolutions and The Matrix Reloaded, but without seeing her in situ and in costume, <laughs> I, 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 I put it this way. When a cutscene started and Gina Torres walked into the room, Gina Torres is the person I mentioned who kind of spots the street rat and is like, I'm going to invite you into the army, but you're not going to be one of the super powerful people until I say so, even though you're right. obviously going to be super powerful because I can tell you're super powerful. But you've <laughs> got to be the right kind of super powerful before I can trust you to be super powerful. When she, when that cutscene started, I was like, oh, this, this is a woman. I remember her from the trailers of this game, not his 
Gina Torres of Suits fame. I Gina rem- Torres of Serenity fame. I see. I remember her from Serenity and Suits, and I and I recognise him as well. So I thought, oh, they're doing the thing where they hire some actors that are around at the moment and quite well known to sort of like uh, push this game further. Um, which is why I wondered if it was a little bit of a. So I can't remember the one you said, but the, that we joked about before, which was like this star-studded action game, which was oh, Crime Boss of Rocket City. Yeah. Because that was like everyone you could, everyone who was anyone from the 1990s was in that game. Um, How mad is it that the yeah. best cast maybe ever assembled is in Crime Boss Rocket City? Well, I think that can be challenged now with. Um, uh, oh, God. Not, I want to say Starfield, Star Citizen. Um, oh, yeah. Hang on. Well, Star Citizen has to come out to count, right? What the hell is it called? 77? What's it called? If, Jonesy, if you don't know. Oh my know God, how have I forgotten that? Of Squadron 76 Squadron or whatever 70, it's called. Squadron 70, whatever. The fact that we were talking about it like two weeks ago and it's completely just. I know. And, and I was going to say, you of all people forgetting the name of that, uh, whatever the fuck it's going to be, I don't even want to call it a video game, is the most damning indictment <laughs> of its likelihood of releasing it. Maybe I've heard. My, no, my. Uh, Squadron 42. My memory is absolutely abysmal. So you know that's that's um that's all. Well, uh, Squadron Forty Two can have as many you know Mark Hamill's and Gary Oldman's huh. as it wants. But as far as I'm concerned, Vanilla Ice has only been in one first-person shooter to have released in the last couple of years, <laughs> and it ain't Squadron Forty Two, baby. It's not. Um, do you know what else? I'd be really surprised to see Vanilla Ice in. Go on. Um, it's the upcoming Wolverine game being developed by Insomniac Games and published by PlayStation Studios. I just think that would be a wild, sort of really out there piece of casting uh, that I can't see them going for. I don't know about you. He, it'd be amazing. He walks in to a room complaining about something with his big hair and Wolverine just punches him in the chest and then the camera shot is like from the front. He pulls like a face and the camera's behind and you just see the three claws just piercing his back. And it's like, Vanilla Rice is dead. Hey. Uh, do you know what? I, I wish we'd never got on onto this now because we've r- arrived at the point where if the Wolverine game does not include a cameo where Vanilla Ice is killed on screen by Wolverine, ideally the first on screen death of the entire video game, I'm going to be disappointed. Like that's, I think that's broadly speaking all I want at this point. Um, but I guess that's the thing about unreleased video games is you don't know much about them. Uh, we don't know, for example, whether or not Vanilla Ice is going to be in Wolverine. But we are starting to piece together a few other pieces of information. That is, if you believe the little tidbits being leaked by a little man known as Daniel RPK online, who is a known Marvel leaker, um, I believe famous over the years for some of his uh, more MCU uh, adjacent leaks, who is, um, I'd say, I always hate describing leakers in such a way because you don't want to give them too much clout because it goes straight to their heads. But he, he's making some waves. You know, his reputation within the video game leaking scene is growing. It's pretty especially when it relates like Marvel stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, he seems to... It seems like he has connections from the TV and or just the, like the, the more traditional mainstream media world that are unsurprisingly kind of uh, you know, increasingly having their tendrils in the world of video games. And I guess where Marvel is concerned, that is uh, never been more, more so the case when you consider the number of Marvel projects out there. This, of course, being one of the more, more high-profile. The first thing he commented on, Jonesy, is when we might be able to get our hands on uh, Vanilla Ice's Wolverine. Of course, <laughs> there were some people... So that's what it is now. That In my mind, that's yeah. what it's going to stay. Vanilla Ice's Wolverine. Um, 
Speculation, and perhaps uh, not in the least bit surprising, that Marvel's Wolverine will not, in fact, release in 2024, allowing um, allowing Insomniac Games to pull off a Spider-Man 2 um, Wolverine double act back, you know, that just seemed frightening on paper, and that will, in fact, be coming out in 2025. That's not the least bit surprising, right? No, not at all. Like it, it, I think the weird thing with Insomniac is you never want to underestimate how quickly they can get a game out. But at the same time, you know, for them to take a normal amount of time to put a game out, you know, this was revealed in like 2021. For them to say it's going to come out in 2025 is is fine. Um, I'm not going to hold anything against them for that. Um, n- not least because I still want to see some DLC from for Spider-Man 2. And I want them to sort of like, you know, focus on some more modes for that, some... Um, uh, yeah, DLC and, and extra support. And I, I'm happy to wait until 2025 for Wolverine if it means that I'm going to get a little bit more Spidey. Yeah, it's funny. We had that Spider-Man 2 spoiler cast uh, a couple of weeks ago and there were so many different, you know, potential outcomes and potential avenues that they could explore, narratively speaking, whether it was in DLC or whether it was in interim games, yeah. the likes of which we saw with Mars Morales. Yeah, the idea of Insomniac moving immediately onto another triple a marvel property 12 months later not only does it seem unprecedentedly quick but yeah it does almost kind of like stifle the ability for them to to flesh out and further explore the world established by spider-man 2 so i guess that's kind of the best of both worlds then wolverine gets more time to breathe and we hopefully get more spider-man in the meantime and speaking of spider-man obviously the other thing that is a hot topic when it comes to wolverine is just how different uh, Wolverine might be how much of an excursion from the formula Insomniac have kind of laid down with Spider-Man it might be and also just how dark it's going to get I think the other thing about Insomniac is whether you look at Spider-Man or whether you look at the Ratchet and Clank series or even when you look at the last time um, you know they made something completely different and completely out there like um, the name uh, of the game is it was an Xbox Sunset Overdrive right um, I got there eventually which had an edge you know, it was edgy, but it wasn't adult and it wasn't dark. So I think people were, were curious to see with, you know, the capacity for uh, Wolverine to go into those slightly murkier waters and the fact that some of the best received Wolverine properties across all formats of media, especially uh, the film Logan, have been, you know, it, Wolverine's at his most popular when he's cutting people in half and intestines are hanging out from the top half and like kind of dangling in a sort of Mortal Kombat fatality-esque way. Again, I'm not giving specific notes, just ideas. <laughs> um, so it makes sense, or most people I think hope that Insomniac would um, tap into some of that darkness. And it does appear, if Daniel RPK's word is anything to go by, that that might be the case. He's described the game as darker and more violent in tone than the studio's usual, usual works. And... Further to that, we've also got a little bit of an inkling as to where it might be set. There's talk of potentially Madripoor, Jonesy, which is a fictional island in Southeast Asia known as a haven for pirates um, as potentially being the setting for Wolverine. So I guess, gut check for you on that. How? So I guess here's the interesting way of potentially framing um, this question. For you, does Wolverine need to be a darker, more violent, let's say, M-rated take on that character? Or could they make a more Spider-Man in tone, T-rated, you know, comic booky adventure? Or do you think do you think people would actually get pissed off? See, I, I, I think they could go either direction, and I think that they could they could do either well. 
Um, what I don't want them to do is is kind of do the thing of saying we, you know, because because there was this sort of a tailor. Because if you think about it, like Wolverine is still from the um, X Men. He's still like a, a a comic book cartoon sort of character that a lot of us grew up like looking at and um, when we were sort of teenagers. It's not. It was only like Logan that really pushed it into this like dark, broody um, place. And it, and Logan's a fantastic film. Like I don't want to take anything away from it. I'm a little worried that they are going to go too far down that route and maybe lose some of the, um, like more fun, um, playful, like, uh, do, you, do you remember the animated cartoon, the TV show, like the X Men? Like, I love that. I love that era of like <laughs> exactly. that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, ha I would be happy with the T for Teen level video game as long as it was very more very well made the combat mechanics were on point and like we had a great time of wolverine like i don't think it needs to be dark and gritty um at the same time like if you if you can make a dark uh more violent wolverine game which is you know which is fantastic and a great story then yeah again I, i'm there i maybe would feel a little bit would it stop anyone from playing it? Probably not. I would maybe feel a little bit sorry for some of the younger fans who would say, who maybe, if their parents are like, you're not playing that, it's a 17. But then, you know, it's that a thing these days. Yeah. I don't even know. No, it's, 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 it's really, really it's ridiculous. ridiculous to know. It is. And especially, like, I think American certificates sometimes blur the lines a little bit because, like, I know an M rating does still carry some weight and, and games like Spider-Man 2 and, you know, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart aren't getting M ratings. But I, I also feel like there's this thing where, like, for a while there, so many must-play games were being rated M that it just kind of... Eventually, it doesn't hold that much weight anymore. And, like, I, I, again, I don't know if we have anyone in the audience who is either still young enough or has recently been young enough to had to, you know, struggle with, with age ratings, like, how much weight or how much that actually holds. But for some reason, and this is probably just because it speaks more to my experiences growing up, when I imagine the UK... Or what I guess is now the European, like uh, ratings agency. I, we are we are Peggy at the moment, right? They, all they mm. wiped all the BBFC off um, the boxes at some point. Like a like a AAA placed. Well, again, I can't say PlayStation Studios because most PlayStation Studios games are extremely violent, and extremely dark nowadays. But a a Marvel, a, a, an insomniac developed PlayStation published Marvel property. That comes out with a big eighteen, like yeah, twelve year olds. You're not playing this one for Christmas, kind of thing. Go fuck yourself, like you go, you go cry to mum and dad. Like it, it does feel odd, but at the same time, I feel like there is such a a sentiment around Wolverine at the moment that that you can't have a video game or just a story in general, I guess, that hones around this sort of like grizzled, world weary character with fucking like metal blades that come out from between his knuckles and not go all in on something not necessarily dark but at least a little bit more severe than maybe some of the territory um that they previously explored but then i guess elements of spider-man 2 without you know going into any details anyone that's played the full extent of that game knows that they hint at some that they go in some territories and they're with the representation of characters like craven and venom especially where you're like okay like they're hinting at something a bit a bit darker yep. that still exists within this universe. I think if I think Wolverine only went, I think Spider Man Two was a sixteen yeah. um, as and well in the UK. So it's not, it's not like it's a it's not like it's a this is for seven year olds kind of game. No, absolutely not. And I think that there's a point that we that we particularly uh, I remember us you and I sort of picking out in the spoiler cast. So obviously I can't discuss it openly here. But there was a point in the story um, 
sort of early on in Venom's arc, let's say, in, in Spider-Man 2, where you're like, okay, that's not a thing we've seen many characters do, um, or let, that's not a depiction of an act that we've seen very many times in the kind of the universe that Insomniac have created up to that point. If Wolverine got up to that level, but never exceeded that level necessarily, I still think that would tick most boxes for people, right? Yeah, no, no, I, I absolutely agree. And I, I think that would be a, I actually think the Spider-Man 2 level would probably be the right kind of level. Um, for example, if you think about the the enemies in that game, they have, they've got guns, they're shooting at you. You can still like beat the crap out of them. You have people with like bladed weapons and stuff like that. You know, it's it's still a, very, a pretty violent game. You just don't have things, like, there's no blood. There's no like gratuitous violence. The finishers are like bombastic over the tops, like, comic book cin cinematics or little set pieces um i get what you're saying about like wolverine if you if you've got adamantium claws and you're like tearing people apart and then they fall to the floor and there's no blood no dismemberment no like guts you can't jib anyone i think people will kind of be a bit a bit annoyed with that aspect of it but then what i mm. wouldn't be surprised at all and we've seen this time and time again in, in games is if you really want to go ham on someone and you want to you want to do that um, they'll throw like robotic enemies at you, or they'll throw. They'll have some sort of uh, cyborg enemy. It's and, green blood, exactly. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if they, if they, especially as we said, like they're they're um, basing this game in uh, Madripoor, um, which I I've never actually heard of, but apparently it has been depicted sometimes as quite a technolog technologically advanced place, and it almost like a bit steampunky. And I was wondering if there's a, maybe going to be an element of you chop the guy's arm off, but it was a robotic arm. So it's not bad. Uh, okay. I mean, it's not Maybe. horrendous. But then that just reminds me of like the recent uh, Star Wars Jedi games, where yeah. again, like you, most people, like you and I play them and think, oh, this is fun. This is all cool. Like the yeah, combat feels fine. There are people online who are like furious every time a lightsaber doesn't decapitate you like human characters <laughs> or whatever. Right. And like, yeah, yeah. And like, like you can't chop people in half. Like, oh, they, they should be chopped in half. I should see the blood. <laughs> you wouldn't see blood, right? Because it would cause. Or the wounds get, yeah, the wounds get cauterized immediately. And but like, there are genuinely pe people annoyed out there that like there are more decapitations and limb removals in Star Wars games because <laughs> a lightsaber should be able to do that. And I, I want to lick the open wound afterwards. <laughs> But, the, but you can't see that's the thing in that game you can do that to enemies but you can only you can do lick it, the open wounds you can yeah. deca decapitate them you can chop them in half you can chop their limbs off but only when yes. they're droids um yes. or they're uh because obviously star wars is very good at doing the thing where it covers you head to toe in armor and the and the armor you like is it a person in there and you don't really know and so it's like oh it didn't bleed it's fine i chopped his legs off so he's it's a robot and you're like is it a robot or is he an alien? And then I, I think there would be some very frustrated um, Reddit posts if, <laughs> if Wolverine went the robot direction and they were the only enemies that you could delimb or decapitate or or splice in twain. But then, but I, it's it's as long as hey, as long as the game is good, like I don't I don't really care. And and Somniac, you know, usually they make very good games, so it's it's something that I'm I'm really looking forward to. I it, with tone, it's a little different because. Um, I I would hate it for them to feel like they have to go dark and broody. Like Wolverine can, I think, would absolutely work in a game that's a little bit more lighthearted, um, and have a bit more fun with it. Like I don't I I don't like it when studios feel they have to like follow a certain arc because you know this is the this is where the characters at. Like I don't think you have to do that. Um, 
But again, like that's not to say they shouldn't. It's like to say you just make a good game. Like, yeah, write it well, uh, make it well, and and people will enjoy it. Like you know, I I would, I would say in some respects when and this is just where my brain goes. But if you say to me like M rated, violent my brain goes to like the modern iteration of like god of war and if you say to me like more playful and and like light-hearted like the older school interpretation of god of war those are two characters they're the same character doing the same kind of thing but one is more one is more light-hearted because it's over the top in a different way you know with like yes. insane amount of slashing stuff but you don't really see it and one is a guy walking around going oh, i'm gonna have to kill another fifty thousand people here like i don't but both are good I enjoyed both. Oh, yeah, you're right. And ironically, the original trilogy, as you kind of said, despite being slightly less dark and less brooding and less foreboding, um, had probably, not even probably, I think definitely did have the game's most outrageous kills and most outrageous moments, like where you're literally like, you know, ripping people's heads off their shoulders to use them as a torch and slamming yes. people's heads in doors over and over again or all kinds of... But, but the things. tone was just like lighter. It was just like almost yes, a bit more exactly. not playful. It wasn't playful. But yeah, it was it was like a more of a, a silly kind of this is kind of crazy tone. Whereas yeah, the, the newer ones are definitely more of like a Oh, life is dark and hard and oh man. Sound like Max Payne. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um I I, I think honestly you, you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said that the most important thing is them figuring out the kind of the kind of story they want to tell, the kind of Wolverine they want to, you know, put in that story, um, and allowing the kind of the tone and the narrative and just how dark or how violent or how gritty it is, all kind of feed off from the actual idea that is at the heart of everything they're doing. Um, yeah, and just be driven by what they're passionate about or the or the ideas that they've got, rather than trying to fulfil, you know, internet wish lists. Um, because rarely doth that a good game make. Um, it's such a cool character though and there's so much scope for like a really wicked game like it, it could be fantastic um, yeah like I just remember I still remember like every, how excited we were when we saw that that teaser trailer um, yeah like it's like, holy shit Insomniac are making a Wolverine game like god damn this is gonna be awesome yeah it's true it's true Jonesy when you take trailers or previews or the first opportunity to see new games for the first time especially if those previews or trailers are populated with kick-ass popular characters, it's a really great opportunity to really lay down a gauntlet, lay down the mats, and say say to say to fans around the world, "Hey, this is the kind of game we're making," and allowing them to determine whether or not they're excited about it. So you could, for example, have a really moody cinematic trailer featuring your hero character sat at a bar in the aftermath of what seems to have been a particularly bloody bloody brawl. Or you could take up an entire um, PlayStation live stream to show the world how you have introduced uh, uh, color-based loot um, and uh, and season pastors, and you have turned what was once a very promising um, comic book adaptation video game into another live service monstrosity. That's if you believe what the people online, Jonesy, are saying about Suicide Squad, kill the Justice League. I got there eventually. <laughs> nice work. Impressive segueing. <laughs> it might have started off as one. I don't know what happened in the middle, but we can move on now because I've said the name of the game. Um, Suicide Squad, Jonesy, it's reared its head again. Um, after a, a, a good chunk of time hidden away in the shadows, 
for those that don't remember, uh, we got a solid, lengthy look at Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League all the way back in February when the gameplay debuted at the PlayStation State of Play. Um, it was actually originally uh, due to launch last year. It did That didn't happen. It was then due to launch earlier this year. And of course, following that gameplay debut, it was revealed. Uh, sorry, it was delayed, excuse me. Um, and there was a lot of speculation, if you remember at the time, Jonesy, about the nature of the delay, how much work they were going to do um, in the time that they had delayed it for, and the extent to which the delay was a direct reaction to the response to what people had seen. And again, to go back to my very poorly uh, judged segue, the the, you know, the inclusion of uh, games as a service and you know, games as a service elements, let's just call them to use a catch-all term, you know, the idea of an ongoing multiplayer experience with season passes and microtransactions and of course um all you know supported by a a a a a, a gear system or a loot system with um rarity denoted by various colors a la destiny or the division or anthem or you know take your pick at this point and when you blended that in with what was a relatively uninspiring gameplay debut where it looked like all four characters didn't have many particularly unique attributes they were all just kind of like darting around a version of metropolis that we didn't get a particularly good look at shooting you know a super rare lmg at these generic purple monsters that all kind of look the same that all look the same or helicopters straddled with purple blobs um the internet wasn't particularly happy about what they saw. So it's interesting now that seven months on, it has re-emerged. And the way that they have chosen to crawl back out from the shadows is with a series of insider videos. Um, this initial offering that they've released this week is a 20-minute video, which gave us a glimpse of some new gameplay, but particularly highlighting the traversal mechanics, the way each of the four characters kind of inherits their unique traversal mechanics and how they use them, some story elements, some look at that version of Metropolis that we mentioned earlier. And broadly speaking, uh, Jonesy, not really much mention or look at any of the live service style monetization, any of the you know the cosmetic sort of focused battle pass stuff that was so unpopular. They haven't changed the game. I think that's the key takeaway. Those elements are still there. We'll get to them in a second. But they're clearly trying to use this series as a way of changing the focus of what you know the parts of the game that people are looking at and subsequently talking about yeah i think the, the, for me the biggest problem was when they did the reveal before was um it, it wasn't again it was one of these things where it's not necessarily about the game it was about the framing and uh, and i think we were all because we were talking about this back at, alongside like gotham knights and we were talking about how you know and it, we were talking about four player like multiplayer um like open world uh, superhero games and it was like oh rock steady oh they're going to do a phenomenal job and i think mm -hmm. we all, one of the problems is we got so excited about the prospect of what that was going to be like and how um it what they were going to do and how they were going to work with the live service elements and how the multiplayer was going to function and then when we finally got to see the game and it was just like wow this is so far away from what i had actually envisaged which, which is ironic because like i mentioned gotham knights gotham knights had a similar problem and I think yeah. first when we saw that long, like I think it was like a twenty-minute reveal of Gotham Knights, um, and it it seemed again like quite far removed from what we were thinking that game was going to be. Um, it was, at, and fans had the same reaction, which was to say, "Hey, this isn't what I this was isn't what you told us it was going to be. It doesn't look anywhere near as good as what I was imagining it was going to be. And also, it seems you've included or left out elements that I was really looking forward to, um, or included elements that I really don't want to be there." And 
I, I'm not surprised that their focus is like reframe, focus on their positives, um, try and sort of resell the game in a different light. It does, the fact that there's like the game's not actually changed that much does make you wonder why they needed over a year um, to look at this. And is, yeah. it, is it purely that they, it was like, okay, from a marketing perspective, we need to just try again. So maybe you don't really need to change the game, you just need to change the marketing. Um, and maybe that's something that they've they've decided to do. But it all it's all gonna come down to you. If if it is Sunset Overdrive with Suicide Squad, which is how it looked, let's be honest. Like yes. and these characters are all effectively just reskins that are all gonna use a like you said, a legendary uh machine gun as opposed to like a rare machine whatever. I I don't know, man. It just it, I don't see how this is gonna even with the reframing, I don't see how this improves. Because the game didn't look good. Right, I suppose that's the interesting thing about like reframing from a marketing perspective. Again, using a visual series to try and offer a different perspective on a video game is that that only works while you are still in that preview phase, while you are, you know, however far out, three months we are from the video game. As soon as this game is in people's hands, critics' hands, whomever, and videos are being released and people are seeing how the game plays moment to moment, and inevitably those live service elements that are, I'd imagine fairly heavily ingrained in the game's fundamental DNA, like this is still going to be a game where you're swapping out weapons and progressing through a battle pass. As soon as that stuff rears its head again, because the game is out, then it's going to be the center of attention again. And yeah. it's going to be the center of attention at the key point at which you're trying to convince people to buy the game. They make that decision in three months' time, not now necessarily. Um, do you, can so, I ask you a quick question? Yeah. So do you, do you think... Um, that from so from what I said, do you agree that they're trying to reframe it on a marketing perspective without changing the game too much, and that the problem they are going to have is that as soon as it releases, um, the the message is going to be forced back to the message that we had uh, when we saw that gameplay footage. Yes, to uh, to to which degree or to what degree and to what end, I don't know, but I do think that will happen to a certain extent. Um, I think that this was probably a situation where they looked at everything that they were hearing back in February following the gameplay reveal. They kind of took stock of where they are. I don't think that it was a you know a, a year long or whatever it was delay solely for the purpose of you know coming up with a new marketing scheme and giving enough time for the dust to settle and then come back up with that new video series. I think there was probably like one of those things where actually it was quite fortuitous where they they were probably looking at the release schedule, the release calendar. They were saying, yeah, 2024 wouldn't be the end of the world. Someone on the dev side was like, actually giving us that much time would allow us to do so much work to this or to polish that um, or to rejig or to re-emphasize certain elements from within the game. Who's to, like, cause to, who's to say that some components of the way that the live service style you know mechanics have been implemented haven't been tweaked in that time? It's not enough time to wholesale remove them, but they can't. You know, the emphasis on them can t be tweaked. The emphasis, like the degree to which it feels like they're trying to chase people's money or they're trying to remonetize people, for example, can very easily be tweaked in that amount of time. Um, but but they do still have the problem that you highlighted, which is yeah, exactly like you said, which is that it's great that you can put out a series of videos and you can put out all these cutscenes and people are getting a little bit more familiar with their takes on all these characters and whether or not they want to spend time with those characters and whether or not they want to spend time in Metropolis and how interesting, in theory, it is to have a story that revolves around playing as a group of villains who have to try and kill 
admittedly brainwashed versions of characters, but still characters who are traditionally the heroes of these stories. Like, it's not an, it's not a, a it's, it's a fairly compelling pitch in some respects. But you're right. At some point, they have to acknowledge that the game that we saw in February uh, is still the game that is going to come out in February. Um, yeah. And like the you you can't just run a video and i'm not suggesting they are going to do this there are obviously going to be more videos and i think they will touch on it at some point like the bubble will burst at some point but yeah you can't pretend that fundamental components of your game don't exist until the day until the day the game comes out until the day the review embargo drops because it's a recipe for disaster and because people have somewhat short-term memories when you're as gamers but not that short term you bring up the fundamentally you bring up suicide squad again as they have just done now with the release of this video, and nine out of ten, you know, internet dwellers, let's call us, because there are some gamers who live relatively normal lives and aren't as hooked to headlines as we are. But nine out of ten of us kind of gamers who in who, who consume news in the way we do immediately go, Oh yeah, that's that Suicide Squad game that Warner Brothers developing that despite being, you know, a, a Rocksteady title in their first release since Arkham Knight, has a battle pass and has cosmetics and has, you know, a rarity tiered like loot system and all these kind of things that I actually am getting quite bored of in games that I don't know why and I just want a narrative driven single player experience blah, 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 blah. so that stuff's not going to go anywhere we haven't forgotten about that stuff that stuff is still in the game you have to you have to be honest with people at some point and not try and pull the wool over their eyes and tell them something isn't there when it is but just try and get them to change the way they feel about it either way with how you've implemented it or how big a deal it is or is not and again, like, I think a lot of this stuff could be made totally redundant um, in terms of people's fears about how, like, because people, and I forgive them for this because we've all had a bad experience with one of these type of games, but people go into a lot of these titles now with, like, worst case scenario in mind. Yeah. They think the end game is going to be boring, the season pass is going to be a grind and not worth the money, there's going to be a cosmetic in the store in week two of release that cost 40 quid somehow and i'm gonna have to buy 45 pounds worth of currency because i can't buy exactly the item i want i need to but people have horror all these horror stories and all these images that are conjured up in their minds the second you even tread into this territory i genuinely think there is a balancing act that exists somewhere in the middle where they're like oh yeah there's a there's a battle pass um but like uh like Yes, there's a regular battle pass and the premium battle pass, but the premium battle pass only costs X amount, and this is how much shit you're getting in it, and making your way through the entirety of the battle pass and unlocking everything there is to unlock will only actually take this much gameplay, and we promise there's going to be this much content to support that volume of gameplay, and everything you unlock with it is cosmetic, so there aren't going to be weird like pay-to-win features, or we're not going to be like killing your fun by nerfing like oh like certain builds to prioritize other microtransactions in the store and we just wanted to make a game that people played after the credits rolled and this was the way we chose to do it i do think there is an earnest approach that one can take to this style of game like i just looked glance over to the chat and low point fair i think that's joel said battle pass is a big no for me and i'm, I'm just like to each their own people are allowed to believe have like have hold whatever opinions they hold dearest in in video games and i'm not here to say anyone's right or any, anyone's wrong but like you tell me a game is a battle pass i go okay yes yeah, cool like, like i i'm playing that i'm fundamentally i'm playing that the the, the exact same video game and if i play enough of it i'm solely unlocking more stuff and there are insidious things that can slip into that game's design that can make it a bad thing 
if content is being removed from the base game that people make the argument hey if this game had come out 20 years ago you would have unlocked that by doing this feat in combat and now it's unlocked on the battle pass that's a bummer if you can prove that that's happened then that's a bummer but it's very hard to prove that content was taken out of the base game and put into a battle pass and the battle pass content wasn't made on top of the and, th and then you've got the elements of like well what if there are things in the battle pass that are paid to win or like what if the battle pass is an extreme grind and they're selling things that increase the volume of progress you make there are I, I, I will concede that there are horrible things that can lie within a battle pass and it can like they it's it's like lifting up a mattress like you just it, what like you just don't know what are there gonna be bed bugs is it gonna be you're gonna find <laughs> someone's you know you know drugs or there there's like gonna be a gun under there like it's scary i get that but at the same time like there's just a part of me that is just i don't i don't know if it's because i'm jaded i'm beyond caring but i'm you tell me a game's got a battle pass i'm like okay I still want to play that video game. I'm not going to sit here with my arms folded and say, you lost my $60 because you put extra content in a battle. But like, well, who, who gives I a shit? I, I think you um, you nailed it, though. Because, uh, so for me, like, battle passes are, are fine when they're additive. So when you have a game which is which you can play and enjoy and never even think about the battle pass, or you've got the base level battle pass, which doesn't cost anything, and every 10 levels you get, like, a little whatever. I think for me, the problem with battle passes is when they obviously and it's more insidious is when they obviously had the idea of effectively trying to trying to make you want the battle pass so much that you feel like you have to have it and that the game becomes work in order to get to the next part of the battle pass which is that's what i really don't like um but yeah no, yes. if, if you say to me a game has a battle pass that doesn't really tell me anything i need to know so much more about the game before i know whether or not the battle pass is is good or bad or poor. so for example like you know we we the game we try not to talk about too much but like marvel's avengers um had a battle pass in that which it ended up feeling like the game wasn't fun it was there was no content and they were just yep. trying to almost it was almost like trying to trick you or, or or feel like you had to get through your battle with the battle pass so and oh you you have to do your daily tasks it's like yep. oh, well, i don't want to play more of this game but you had to if you want to get further in the battle pass and it's just, that's not fun. That's yeah. not good. Marvel's Adventures, again, it even had even worse failings where every single character in that game had its own battle pass. Yes. And I remember the way that they tried to tell you that that was fine was because by completing one character's battle pass, you would get enough of the premium currency to buy the yeah. next character's battle pass. And it's like, yeah, but that, that that's, okay, great. Like, that doesn't really mean anything to me. The other problem Marvel's Adventures had, and again, these are the kind of things I'm not excusing when it comes to battle passes, or games as a service elements. Um, Marvel's Adventures was a game with like unfathomably bad character cosmetics in terms of what you could naturally unlock for each character, and all the best-looking cosmetics were all paid for in some capacity. Again, those are the kinds of things I'm not going to excuse, and I'm not going to pretend that like if you scroll back to fucking 2005 when most games were completely offline because the capacity for you know games as a service games didn't really exist and so battle passes didn't exist and so if an artist made a cool costume it was just in the fucking game because an artist made a cool costume and that's what happens when artists make cool shit you just put it in the game you don't sell it i i harken back i like i i, I miss those days as well but like i still think that games can fundamentally be enjoyed like by just ignoring a battle pass and i'm yeah. playing call of duty modern warfare 3 right now because you know i'm still touching the multiplayer and the zombies a little bit here and there and that game has a, a battle pass i think it's actually the the last season of the previous game not the first season of this game or something i don't know i haven't bought it 
every now and then it gives me something for free and it usually looks ugly. Sometimes I look at it and I was like, oh, if I put 24 quid into this thing, I would be able to play as Spawn. But you know what else? You know what, what, what my, I, I do? I have a brief moment where I go, oh, imagine if I pay 24 pounds and play as Spawn. And then uh, 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 exactly like two milliseconds after that, I go, yeah, but what if I didn't spend £24 and didn't play a spawn and played the exact same fucking game, just not as a character that I can't even fucking see because it's a first-person shooter? <laughs> you're not even playing a spawn that you can see. You're playing for the right to have other people know that you're see playing that a spawn. You spent £24 so, to play a spawn. And I, and I, I know, and I, and I know it's insidious, and I know that they put those, they put the best shit in there, and they want you to buy them. And I know that battle passes and games to service like elements are all a way of getting you to play the game for longer. And that the only reason companies want you to play the game for longer is because there's some metric somewhere that they've got in some spreadsheet somewhere that tells them that the longer the people play a video game, the more likely they are to make the internal justifications they need to make to spend money on that game you're more likely to feel okay spending 20 quid in a game that you've been played for a thousand hours than you are than you've played for 10 hours. And I get that. And so on some level, you could absolutely make the argument that all of this is evil and all of this is insidious and all of this is manipulative to some degree. But at the same time, spending that 20 pounds, whether like you've done some mental gymnastics to justify it or not, is still a choice. And it's a choice that you don't have to make. And if you don't make it, then they don't win. And if they don't win, then they don't fucking matter. Yeah, it's. It, I, I think it. Yeah, and no, I. I think it, nothing is inherently bad. Like um, it, a lot of, often, nothing is inherently bad. Is bad is what what game manufacturers or any other industries what they do with it. Like oh, it always makes me think of the kind of when you have a battle pass in a game, and then people tr make a bad game, and then try and get people to um, you know, uh, then. Um, make you play the game in order to justify the fact that you're you've got a battle pass to unlock more stuff it reminds me of things like back in the day you know we're we're on youtube for the people live at the moment and maybe people watching this after there was a period of time when youtube said hey longer videos are better for us because then we can deliver more adverts so you get more ad revenue so a lot of people including people we worked for said rather than make a better video and make it longer so you get more adverts we just stuck like two minute long end boards onto the end of videos because it was yeah. like it's not affecting you it's a two minute long end board but actually you know we weren't adding any value we were just trying to like game the system a little bit i suppose in order to make a little bit more money and i feel like that is the that you so you get all this kind of i'm not saying that was bad i'm saying like you get all this kind of messing around the edges and i feel like yeah you can have completely 100 the uh, the battle pass is fantastic idea for this game because it adds extra cosmetics that people really want in the game they love and on the other end you've got a game people bought thinking it was going to be good and unfortunately it's terrible and in order to get something they really want they have to play the terrible game and and that's really that's bad that's what we don't want to be and at the moment we we don't know where we're at on that sort of sliding scale with um suicide squad kill the justice league and we hope yeah. we're at the good end we really hope we're at the good yeah. end yeah and ranting and raving aside to get back onto some of the more hopefully would end up being you know redeemable elements of, of suicide squad how did you feel getting sort of let's say reintroduced to Rocksteady's interpretations of those characters. We saw some of the cutscenes. We saw a bit of banter. We saw each character's individual and unique um, traversal mechanics. Um, they kind of try to frame each character in terms of what their strengths and weaknesses are when it comes to the type of attacks they've got and the type of firearms they might use, how some of the co-op synergies uh, might arise as a result of that. 
bit of metropolis thrown in there as well for its sort of its verticality and why they chose that as a setting if we if we took this video for what it was even if it is maybe a smoke screen for some other elements how did you come away from it feeling that i want to reserve judgment okay yeah well that's reasonable like I, i'm not i i kind of feel at the moment i'm at i'm i'm in the space where i'm i've I'm now worried with with Kill the Justice League in general. So I'm just like, anything I see now is not really going to move the needle until... until so what I'm fully expecting now is when we when we get into um, the actual sort of release window of the game, I think they're going to go insanely hard on uh, paying streamers to stream this game and have a wonderful time with it um, in order to... Because it is a game which lends itself, like as we've talked about, you know, um, it lends itself to... Uh, to to playing online and to streaming and to people talking about this game and, and be like, ah, oh, I, I really love this bit. Look at me do this. I've got this on the battle pass. I've got this skin. And so I, I feel like their marketing is going to push so hard on streamers and getting this out there and trying to get other people and trying to get people to play it that way. Um, so I, I even feel like in that first sort of week, couple of weeks, it's going to be a weird, um, mm -hmm. not necessarily honest uh, um, environment to to look at this game but I'm really looking forward to when the reviews come out and actually say look this is what the game is actually about this is what you're actually doing um, this is how you're actually going to play in this game world so yeah I, I, I definitely feel like I need to reserve judgement because um, I am like someone that um, Rodrigo has just mentioned in a super chat shout out to Rodrigo uh, our own version of Battle Pass in order to um, pay to win uh, on the Super Show podcast, you can super chat us and we'll read out your comment. Rodrigo said, "There's a girl I watch that does the same. She ignores skins and battle passes. She says, I'm not here for skins. I'm here for pew pew. And much like that girl that Rodrigo watches, I'm I'm there for the pew pew. And so I want to reserve. Uh, I'm going to reserve judgment until yeah. I I'm, I know that I'm I'm full of it though because I know that if they drop a few more videos and they show some other elements that that kind of start to move the needle for me and get me a little bit excited about it then i'll start to be like oh this is looking really good but i'm gonna try yeah. not i'm gonna try not and then, and, and then and then the fomo kicks in and you start looking at like what they've content they've announced for it and you're like yeah but what if i do want to wear that skin and like rodrigo's friend at the end of the day is right if the pew pew is good if the pew pew is fun enough for you to play it just for the sake of the pew pew then you've got everything you need and I, I'll, I'm not going to pretend I don't have that same kind of voice inside my head that wants to play dress up with all these characters, as dumb as it sounds. <laughs> um, and that's how they take advantage of us. But at the same time, I just don't think it's worth losing sleep. I guess what I say is, I, I think sometimes I see people online, and maybe they're posturing, and maybe they're, they're like, you know, trying to make a stink. And actually, when the games come out, they behave very differently. But I feel like a lot of people out there are sometimes cut off their nose to spite their face when it comes to they, the opinions they purport to have around live service elements, around battle passes, around season passes, whatever the fuck it is, around microtransactions in general. Like, when you say... When people go so bold or so bold as to say, oh, that game has a battle pass, I will not buy it. And that is a game they would otherwise have liked to have played or and maybe even enjoyed. That's where I kind of... I'm like, but you're just hurt... You're hurting yourself more than you're hurting them at that point. No, like play you the are. game that you play the game that you want to play. I, I do. There are things that that could be included in games that I would say I'm not about that because it's so. For example, like I mean, and I'm sure a lot of people would agree if a game explicitly had pay to win, and it yeah. was a game. So let's say they had like, um, uh, if I was into like Return to Tarkov, and they had oh you can pay and you get all these extra elements 
added into the game in order to make it easier i would be i don't want to go anywhere near that but when it comes to things that are like battle passes with cosmetics there's so few things that would make me actually say i've got no intention of playing that game um it's it because yeah. I, I want to yeah. experience it if if i want to experience it like obviously i don't just play every game that's out there but um this whole genres that i'm like i just know i'm probably not going to get on with it so i'm not going to bother um but that's less about it's not me going like I don't want to play that game. It's like me saying there's a lot of games out there and I haven't got time to play everything, so I've got to kind of be selective. But yeah, there's not many mechanics or um, uh, in-game sort of features that would make me just out and out go, no thanks. Yeah, I, I, I'm 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 with you on that. I feel the same way. And while I did inadvertently turn turn this conversation about Suicide Squad kill the Justice League and their attempts to create a new video series that um, maybe doesn't mention um, some of those um, monetization elements and, and so on and so forth and through the various cosmetics that the game is going to be released with. Um, the conversation did turn that way, and so I apologize. But having turned the direction in that direction, the conversation, excuse me, in that direction, it only seems fair that I follow it up with confirmation that while the video didn't focus on how they were going to monetize this game, uh, the way that they have um, unleashed pre-order options upon the world uh, certainly did. Um, so there's so oh, funny so, so that's how i knew the game was actually had a date because i had an email that pinged through and i opened it and it was like you could pre-order the suicide squad killer justice league now and i was like oh is this even is this got a date now and that was how i found out about it which is quite yeah which is hilarious it, it does indeed it does indeed have a date and while that 20 minutes of video might have told you tried to convince you that this was all about characters and traversal and and a unique take on metropolis um i'll be honest jonesy the standard and deluxe editions of this game, when broken down, don't read anything like that. Um, the deluxe edition will go for £100 or $100, and uh, we're told it will include, quote, one premium battle pass token, which is in contrast to the, obviously, £70 or $70 standard edition, which provides access to the game's free seasonal pass battle tiers, along with, uh, as you'd imagine, the post-launch seasonal updates, including earnable characters, free missions, and items uh, coming to all versions and for anyone wondering just how hard suicide could suicide squad could potentially go with those previously confirmed cosmetics based microtransactions the premium editions various included cosmetics indicate that the game will at least support different outfits then outfit color swatches weapon skins and weapon dolls which I'm reading is like you know how you get a little dangly bits now that um that hang off the side of your gun. What do they what do um, they call them in COD? I can't even remember what they call them. Charms, charms. That was it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um. So again, while while uh, not a huge emphasis on in terms of the descriptions of the two v editions of the game on like specific cosmetics, we do know that there is going to be um a free battle pass, um a a, a, a seasonal updates, lots of free content. There is going to be some kind of a deluxe or premium version of that battle pass, and there are a number of different uh, ways in which cosmetics can end up arriving, and I've got no doubt that they will. Like in some respects, I can, even though like what I've seen, I'm I'm a bit worried. I could I could see this becoming like the new go to um, streaming shooter. Like if if they did it well and it was and it was very well made, which obviously Rocksteady are absolutely capable of. I could see that, but I'm just in a weird place with this, where I'm just from what I've seen and what I've heard, and I'm like in a bit of a, I'm a bit, a bit of a strange place. But like I said, I, I'm gonna, I could be convinced. We'll wait and see. 
Yeah, I feel like being in a strange place is a pretty fair place to be. Again, when you consider all the elements that we've discussed, not just in this podcast, but over the years, from Rocksteady's pedigree to the rumours of, you know, uh, apparently false rumours indeed, of Superman games and Justice League games, to arriving at this, to finding out what genre it's going to be, to all of this microtransaction nonsense... It's going to be great when that game is actually just fucking out and we can all see it for what it is. Yeah. Um, that said, Jonesy, not all new releases should be celebrated um, <laughs> when they hit store shelves because sometimes games are just straight up duds. And I'm not talking about games that are duds because of live service elements or aggressive monetization. I'm talking about games that are just flat out bad. And it does feel like this has been... And again, anyone in the comments who can remember just of something else that comes close, but a really uniquely strong year for outrageously bad games. Um, of course, we had the Lord of the Rings Gollum um, far earlier in the year, and then we had that King Kong game that wasn't all that long ago, um, uh, Skull Island, the Rise of Kong. Took me a second to remember the... I've got, you've got to give it its official name, Jones. It's full name. Um, would you be surprised to hear that another uh, entrant, another 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 contender has entered the ring? Surely not. Say it ain't so. Oh, you better believe it, buddy. And the best thing about it, it actually is published by Game Mill. That is the exact same Game Mill that published Skull Island Rise of Kong. They're back at it again, just weeks, months later, this time with an adaptation of the popular TV show The Walking Dead, and it is called the Walking Dead Destinies. Um, and while people watching or listening to this, I'm sure won't have seen any advertisements or marketing for this product, uh, because apparently that, that it was non-existent, you may well have already seen it on storefronts. Sure enough, I'm thinking if you looked at the PlayStation Store, for example, in the last couple of days, you would have seen this thing there and been like, what the fuck is this? They released a Walking Dead game. Um, and shock horror, Jonesy. It's absolutely fucking awful. Have you seen have you seen any of this game in action? I have. Um and what I get so excited about with this is like it's so so okay, not not giving them any kind of pass at all. But like with King Kong uh, Skull Island, um you you can kind of say to yourself, okay, maybe they had a tough task. They were they were creating something from scratch. There's big monkeys and there's, you know, there's, there's a t- uh, dinosaurs and all sorts. That maybe yeah. is tricky to make. But the one of the easiest things, if you said to me, what's one of the easiest things you could make? I would say probably a zombie game where you're walking around as a character and there's uh, there's like AI zombies walking out. Like, how can that be hard for game develop game developers to make? Surely that's one of the easiest things you can do. Flat level, dump some stuff into it, have a bloke walking around, have some shambly zombies like walking around. But the footage, <sighs> the footage of this is laughably bad. Like it was, I mean, it it's like super glitchy. It had. Um, the weird cuts in the play, like characters and zombies freaking out, like in the moving bizarre way. It, just like the terror, one of the worst, most terribly made video games that I'd sort of seen um, that had been put out there. That should have been not like what obviously we talked about other games that are bad, but one that should have been so much easier to do. I'll even give um, Gollum a bit of a pass and say, sure, making a Gollum game where you've got to figure out how he moves through the landscape and the environment. I'm sure that's tricky. I'm sure that's hard. I, I think there's probably like an, a Unity or like an Unreal Engine tutorial which just gives you a character and some zombies to, you could just reskin and make it better yeah, than this crap. I, I, I'm going to be careful not to wade into making How this video game have been easy territory. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Because 
I will. Well, I like look, to do that. Look, you know that's, that's, I, I, that's, that, that's, that's one of the reasons I'm glad you're here is because I'm scared to do that because every time I've tried to make a game, I've got half an hour into it and gone, God, this is a, takes a long time and then stopped. Um, uh, so I'm glad you're here to, to offer that perspective. But, I, but I, I completely concur with everything that you said from a gameplay perspective. Like, it is out, it's just outrageously shoddy where no one piece of the puzzle here seems like it's actually working as intended or as designed. Like, gameplay looks like, like everything's like fidgeting around, nothing like even just from an audio perspective, the amount of times like there's audio that's out of place or cutting or pieces of audio overlapping. But I think the thing that makes The Walking Dead Destinies stand out and become an even more entertaining mess than something like Skull Island is it's kind of like you said King Kong that like that, that was a bad game but it's still King Kong walking around and you can imagine yourself mashing square and like really awkwardly beating up a dinosaur The Walking Dead is a like it's like it's it's a very different IP you're dealing with characters and you're dealing with stories and you're dealing with a world that a lot of people are very more, very much attached to and more so emotionally than anything that exists in the world of, uh, of King Kong. Like, I'm sure there are people out there that love King Kong, but you don't get the same attachment as you do after nine seasons of watching fucking Rick or whatever his name is, like, doing his thing. Um, and so when you're taking those characters and also when the gimmick of the game as the name The Walking Dead Destinies might suggest, is that players are given the ability to uh, to change events of the show by replaying certain situations and kind of changing the outcome. You just, I think you're inviting an even hotter mess to emerge from what you've created. And that's it. Like, the first piece of footage I saw of this game was a boss fight um, where it was Rick and Shane taking each other one-on-one, -on -one, just Hello. both taking, like... Well, hang on, Josie. Don't get. To, I mean, maybe in your fan fiction, but uh, not in this official video game published by Game Mill. Um, but it was just like watching these two dudes take full-on like shotgun blows to the face over and over and over again, like as they awkwardly and jankily ran around this horribly ugly environment. And you just, I just, I'd, I'd love to know what the financials look like for Game Mill, how much they actually make on something like this, and what it does to them in terms of reputational damage and their ability to continue to work it, working with these kind of IPs, and then farming out to, in this case, for anyone that was curious, a Brazilian studio called Flux Games, who I looked them up, they'd worked on some side-scrolling beat-em-ups based on the Cobra Kai series over the last couple of years. Oh, right, okay. Um, that apparently weren't terrible, like the first one it was getting like six out of tens, but it wasn't this. Um, so yeah, I end up once again feeling sorry for Flux Games, probably um, wondering how Game Mill keep getting away with it, Breaking Bad style, and um, in a weird way, grateful that we've got another horrible mess that looks like a video game vomit for us to celebrate and to talk about on a podcast. It's it's interesting that this keeps happening, where they seem to just like the IP gets gets or the right to use the ip gets bought and then they make a horrendously shoddy game that they then just pump out hoping that maybe people won't have seen how badly made it is they'll make that mistake of buying it and then and start to play and be like what is this crap and then you, yeah. it's too late you've already spent your i think it's like 40 pounds nearly um mm. in the playstation store uh because yeah the name will do all the heavy lifting um and and unfortunately some people will blatantly fall for it i 
didn't the the Walking Dead has had has it had any other video games? Didn't didn't they do a? Oh yeah, that yeah. Who are the people that don't make games who make Telltale? Didn't Telltale do a Walking Dead game? Yeah, was Telltale pretty good? Telltale's like most famous game series, I think, at this point, or certainly the most successful, was there was there a work on on multiple seasons of The Walking Dead. Um, and a which, couple of different spin-offs as well. Which was one uh, of the only then, good Telltale games that I remember actually playing and thinking, wow, this is actually very good from Telltale. Which, that's, I'm being mean. I have I have history of saying that Telltale aren't, don't make games. Yeah. But they did make yeah. games with this, so fair play. Yeah, and that was like, that was like the OG of what was like the new wave of Telltale. Like, I think it was 2012 that season one came out. And it was like, it won like Game of the Year awards in some places. It was that big. And that was the start of kind of that snowball effect where Telltale just seemed to say yes to every single IP for about the next <laughs> five years until they realized we can't make all these games. We've got game, you know series with episodes coming out like oh, a clip of like one episode every three months. People are getting pissed off and we've run out of money. Um, so sorry for fans of like Telltale's Game of Thrones and stuff like that. But we're not going to like, yeah. Um, the other one I remember, there was one called Overkill's The Walking Dead. And I think Overkill might be the payday people, and right. it was just a it was just a very bad. I'm going to look it up to the fact check, but I remember it just being a very bad first person shooter. Um, be, I just, that's the thing. I just wonder how much are they relying on the the TV series, uh, the Telltale games. You know, a lot of good um, uh, memories for people, and then they see, oh look, there's a new Walking Dead game, and they buy it just to realize that Game Mill have done it again. <laughs> They've um, Managed to scam you out of your money. Um, but then scam maybe is too strong, but you know. But then that goes back to what I was wondering. Like, well, what point have Game Mill done enough reputational damage to themselves that the next time they reach out to fucking, I don't know, like just like RuPaul's Drag Race and say, hey, can we have the rights for a, for a video game adaptation, please? Someone just takes one look at their website and goes, no. I, this is the problem. I worry that when you're talking about outside the game industry, if you're going to places that don't, you know, people that don't usually um, sign off IP for games, but that's Google it. They, but they're not going to then look at the game. They're just going to look at. They'll say, "Have we've done game? We've used the IP of King Kong. We've used the IP from um, uh, The Walking Dead. We could absolutely make a, a RuPaul Drag Race game." And they're like, "Oh yeah, these guys have, have done this before. It's going to be great." And then you realize that this the sad truth, which is that no, no. They've made a shockingly bad. Uh, they've made shockingly bad games all throughout. But yeah, hey, I guess it's I'm, also worth noting that neither Skull Island nor The Walking Dead are currently featured on Game Mill's website. Oh wow, that's that's telling, isn't it? But um, see, I think that we should go the other way, mate. And I think that we should stream these games uh, so people can watch us play them. I think they'd enjoy that. I remember we we did do that briefly on All Time Gaming, where we were like. We had reached a, a bit of a dead end, like, what should we play? And I think the idea was just like, let's just play the worst reviewed game according to Metacritic this year. And I can't remember what that game was called, but it was quite a successful stream, so I'd, I'd be down for it. Um, yeah, I think we should do Gollum, we should do King Kong, we should do um, do this. We should maybe also play Gimli Game as soon as it drops, without even reading any reviews, because Gimli Game is going to, unfortunately, it's, you know, probably not going to be great either. It's not Wait, game. I think no. Gimli, Gimli, didn't Gimli game come out? Or was it out? Gimli, well, I I, I want to say, and I, I think we might have oh, got the God. wrong end of the Gimli game in terms of what it actually is. I think it might be some like PC exclusive kind of. Um, I'm going uh, the the page for it is called Middle Earth in video games. Um, 
was it this one? Lord of the Rings Return to Mor Moria? I don't know. My, my Lord of the Rings pronunciation is that. Is yeah, that good. I think maybe yeah. it sounds so like that. That's that. It was a, it's a it's a survival crafting um, game that so far is only out on PC, um, right. and I want to say, I think I looked at an IGN review in progress at one point, and they were like, "Yeah, this isn't great," um, but it didn't <laughs> well, sound like it was. Not as bad. It didn't sound like it was Lord of the Rings Gollum level. Um, but uh, well, it's, it's just sad because I, you know, honestly, games as bad as Lord of the Rings Gollum are more interesting than games as average as that Lord of the Rings Return to Moria probably is. Um, but I get it; they can't all be bangers. No, they can't. Yeah, this is, uh, unfortunately, and it, it seems in some respects that this this is just going to keep happening, like again and again with these sorts of games. As long as as long as there are IP out there that people can use, make a bad game, make a bit of money. Um, this is not to suggest that they set out to make a bad game. I think they set out to make a passable game, but I think the reality is they have a cutoff when they're like, if we work past this day, we won't make the profit we want. Therefore, yeah. game finished. <laughs> Package and sell. Totally. And the game will turn around and said, well, you know, your previous games were side-scrolling beat-em-ups. It's your fault for trying to make a 3D action-adventure game. Like, what can we say? The game's coming out. Yeah. Um, if you want to patch it, you can. Um, but we're not going to pay you for it. Exactly, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, brutal. Um, and and as Josie said, uh, uh, a situation that is probably doomed to continue. Um, but um, if the fact that you out there, wherever you are in the world, are still watching and or listening to this podcast at this point in the process, like almost two hours in, depending on how much time we lost at the beginning <laughs> after that little technical hoo-ha, that is testament to the fact that there is... Uh, 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 no matter how bad a piece of media can get, podcasts included, some people will stick around to the bitter end. Um, and so for your patience and for your ability to soldier on through the tough times, the rants, the terrible anti-consumer takes that I probably accidentally spouted at one point there about uh, games as a service, um, we thank you for staying with us. Um, whether you're watching live on YouTube um i see some people who have uh, been uh, joining along in a ch in the chat uh, uh, uh alongside the entire podcast um whole two whole two hours of listening to two random people talk and, and chatting alongside them so we thank you all for that and whether you've been listening on a podcasting platform of your choice watching on youtube after the fact wherever and whenever you are thank you thank you jonesy for joining me on this uh, week of misadventures i thank you thank you mate thank you for sticking with me even though uh we had the technical technical hiccups. Mate, you were the technical hiccups. I couldn't give a shit. You are the thing that keeps this train on the tracks, my friend, and more people should know that, and I'm grateful uh, to you for that every single week. Um, and speaking of which, we will be back. Same place, same time next week. Um, we are slowly honing in on the end of the year, and as the releases dry up, uh, we still have plenty of other hot spots of news to look forward to. It's crazy to think that between the Game Awards and Grand Theft Auto trailers, some of the biggest weeks of the of this podcast, this calendar year, might still be to come. All the more reason to subscribe if you haven't, to remember where to come Monday evenings, whether it's live on YouTube or being caught after the fact. Again, thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you somewhere in the future, I'm sure. See ya. Bye.